Hello everyone, I'm Captain Logan and this is Superhero Rewind. Ninja Turtles is one of my personal sacred cows. It's one of those things that's hard to be critical of because if you grew up with it and loved it when the original animated series was first on, it's nearly impossible to separate opinion from nostalgia. Ninja Turtles is obviously not high art, whatever that means. Most people wouldn't classify much, if any, of superhero properties that way, but Ninja Turtles would especially be low on the list. They're turtles. They're ninjas. Or at least, they use ninja weapons and say they're ninjas. They're obsessed with pizza. Just how deep do you really want this material to be? And in fact, when Eastman and Laird first drew the Turtles back in 84, they intended it as a parody of some of the top-selling comments of the time. They didn't think it would sell, much less that it would lead to this giant empire of a franchise. So to ask Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to tackle deep philosophical or social issues would be like asking Batman to wear blue tights and a red cape. Ninja Turtles is about mutant superheroes being heroic, saving the world, and making amusing commentary about superheroes in comic books. But even the original comics were about more than the cartoon show it spawned. That show was nearly all parody, and the Turtles were goofy, punny, and rarely took anything very seriously. What made the comics funny is that four mutant turtles wearing face masks and fighting ninjas on the rooftops of New York was completely absurd, but they took themselves entirely seriously and were completely oblivious to the silliness of their own universe. They were dark, edgy, and though not without a sense of humor, none of the four turtles cracked the lame groaners they did in the cartoon show. But once again, Sacred Cow. Looking back on it now, those lame jokes are still charming to me because of the nostalgia factor. But that's not what the Turtles creators originally had in mind for them. It's just what appealed to kids in the 1980s. It's sold, and we certainly have it to thank for the Turtles' popularity and everything that's come after it in 25 years, good or bad. What's most impressive about the original live-action movie is how seamlessly it blends that edgier material with the more light-hearted turtles the TV series made famous. The first time we see them, they're completely in shadow, and the first glimpse we get of Raphael peeking his head up through a manhole cover makes him look like they do in the comics. He doesn't look like a cartoon. He's intimidating. And that's fantastic because the first shot makes or breaks the ability for the audience to suspend disbelief. We have to believe these live-action versions are the real deal, not four guys running around in lame costumes. And we finally see them in full profile, especially after the effectively dramatic way the turtles have been semi-introduced. We really do believe it. But these turtles have some of the cartoon version in them, too. They crack those lame one-liners, though they're less lame here. A lot of them are pretty clever, and it's clear that a lot of work went into making the film fun for kids, but accessible to adults. There are fun moments where the turtles draw attention to the fact that they are turtles, like watching a cartoon of the tortoise and the hare on TV, and getting angry at the tortoise for getting beat by the rabbit. Even the pizza stuff is more clever than it was in the TV show, like the early scene where the pizza guy can't find the turtle's address because it's a sewer grate, and Michelangelo makes him take $3 off the tab. The Turtles also make a lot of pop culture references, and considering the comic was a parody of pop culture, this is welcome and appropriate, and again, it's there for the adults. I also enjoy all the product placement, but I, I think I just miss all those old 1980s logos. 
There's not a lot of story here, but it's not a huge problem. What story there is, is paced well and made mostly believable. If the film is making any social points at all, it's about how easy it is to influence teenagers and how a lot of teenagers feel like outsiders, whether they're mutants or humans. That's illustrated by the gang of thieves Shredder builds in New York. He finds teenagers, trains them like ninjas, and uses them to steal what he needs and fight his battles for him. This is the strongest idea in the movie for two reasons. First, it explains how the Shredder gets so many minions. Too often in superhero stories, a villain has hundreds of henchmen and we're never told where they came from, how can he can afford them, or why they're willing to risk their lives for him. But here, the Foot Clan aren't faceless soldiers, or robots like in the TV show. They're kids who have been seduced. I also like how they went the extra mile and showed this compound where the kids played video games, went skateboarding, smoked, did anything they wanted to when they weren't training or on the job. The Shredder makes them believe, as he says, that they're in a family, and that he's their father. All of that is believable and well-written. The rest of the story is essentially that of the first few issues of the comic book, minus Baxter Stockman and the Mouser robots. One of the strongest scenes is where Raphael first meets Casey Jones and stops him from beating up some thieves with a hockey stick. It's played a lot like the same scene in the comics. Other scenes that are well-lifted are the fire in April's shop and the fight with Shredder on the roof at the end. The Shredder is fantastic, and this is my favorite represent representation of him. He's not superhuman or in league with aliens or even really evil. He's a ninja who's gone down the wrong path, and he justifies his gang by reinventing the concept of honor to fit his own purposes. His costume is very similar to the comics and the TV show, yet is somehow more realistic. He's scary, and regardless of the purple color, it's not silly in the slightest. He's a man of few words, and his presence says a lot about him. Again, not a real deep character, but a presence. I also like how he isn't just looking for the turtles because they're the heroes of the movie and he has to have an obsession about them. He knows they're a major part of his past, and so it makes sense. As far as the turtles themselves go, as I said, they look and move great. Uh, the choreography of the fight scenes isn't brilliant, but there's only so much you can do with rubber suits and animatronics. I'm impressed they can backflip in those things. Leonardo and Raphael's characters are handled the best, as is their love-hate relationship that was always at the core of the best Ninja Turtle stories. I like how there's some character dimension created by Raphael getting hurt during a fight with the Foot Clan and Leonardo thinking it's his fault. Michelangelo and Donatello get some funny lines, but aren't given much to do. Michelangelo's role is mostly order pizza and make puns about it, and Donatello gets all the jokes the writers don't feel like giving to Michelangelo. I think that's because there isn't much tech in this movie, and Donatello is supposed to be a machinist. The only smart-sounding line he really gets is about how the floor in April's store isn't structurally sound, and I'll be the first to admit that after it caves in, it's hilarious. The large issue for me is that when it's all said and done, this isn't really the turtle story. It's Shredder's, it's Splinter's, and it's kind of Casey Jones's story. The protagonists of a story need to be proactive, so if it's a story about superheroes, the title characters need to be the ones who save the day, no matter what the film is about otherwise. In Ghostbusters, it's the Ghostbusters who destroy the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That should be a given, but that's not what happens here. Sure, the turtles fight a lot. They beat up a bunch of Foot Ninja. They go after the Foot Clan when they kidnap Splinter, which is the central conflict. But the Foot Clan themselves aren't the main enemy, and at the end of the day, what counts is A, rescuing Splinter, and B, shutting down the Shredder's operation. Splinter is rescued, but by Casey Jones. And Shredder is defeated, but by Splinter. 
and kind of by Casey Jones. So we've got a film called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and though they have some character stuff and they try to save the day, they aren't the ones who do it. And looking at it critically, it's hard not to see their primary role as providing their own comic relief. What's worse than that is that while Casey Jones kind of seems like the hero of the whole movie at the end, he loses sympathy for me. He saves Splinter single-handedly, but he kills the Shredder. That's a plot point that's easy to forget because it's smoothed over with a touchy-feeling ending where Casey and April have this romantic kiss after being at each other's throats the whole movie. But he really does kill the Shredder. He nonchalantly presses the button on the tra trash compactor. Now, I know Shredder doesn't really die, but if there hadn't been a sequel, you'd have to assume he had, and obviously that was Casey's intention. This is lazy, lazy character writing. After all, what was the point of that scene with him and Raphael in the park? Raphael took him on because he was brutalizing criminals, so hasn't he learned anything? The most proactive character in the movie hasn't changed at all by the end. You can probably expect him to start running around the park, beating the crap out of people again, and the turtles themselves are completely superfluous, at least as far as the story is concerned. Now, despite all of that, Ninja Turtles gets a 2.5 out of 4 from me. It's a really fun movie, and it's paced well, taking its time to give each of the characters moments to shine. It gets a lot of the source material right, and it's impressive how much is done with a limited budget. If I were to turn off my analytical brain, this would be a four. But critically, it's got real narrative problems, which have to be addressed as this isn't just straight parody, and it is taking itself at least somewhat seriously. And so that's where the points went. Join me next time for a review of the superhero film that defined superhero films, Richard Donner's Superman.